Exodus chapter number 33, and let's look at verse number 21 through 23 to start out. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, please be with us this morning. Please be with me as I preach. Lord, please give me the words to say. Lord, use this message to encourage our hearts. Lord, help us to give you the honor and glory for everything that's done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Title of the message this morning is In the Cleft of the Rock. In the Cleft of the Rock. Now, this is Moses. His journey to the promised land is resumed. And this message is talking about the joy and security of the believer. The joy and security of the believer. This is at Sinai. It's around 1446 B.C., The Ten Commandments have been given. The law has been given. The instructions for the tabernacle were given. There was the instance where Moses went up to Mount Sinai and the children of Israel saw that he had not come down yet. And so they told Aaron about it and remember the story where they had a fire and they all threw their gold in the fire and according to Aaron, this calf just walked out, right? That's that's how it just, I mean, the thing just walked out of there, right? So, there's confession, there's intercession, and now God is commanding Moses to resume the journey. Go into the promised land. It's time to go in to Canaan. Exodus chapter 33, verse 1 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. It's time for Israel to be delivered out of the wilderness. Now, two words, two places rather. You have the wilderness and you have Canaan. Now, the wilderness represents a time of testing. It represents a training ground. The wilderness over a period of time has kind of become like the word behavior. It's, it's always associated with something negative. My wife's a school teacher, and right now she's teaching fifth grade math. She's taught everything from kindergarten to second grade to third grade. Worst of all, she has to deal with me at home. I don't know which is worse, right? But if I ever hear her, and I never have, but I'm using an example here. If I was to eavesdrop or walk by, and she's on the phone talking to a parent, And says, hey, we need to have a conference and talk about little Johnny's behavior. That's a bad day for little Johnny, isn't it? When we think of behavior, we think of negative. 
But actually, behavior isn't always negative. Behavior is a habitual action. That's our instincts. Your behavior, you do things a certain way. Behavior isn't always negative, but our culture, that's kind of how we define it as. Same thing with the wilderness. When a lot of times we think of the wilderness, it's a little negative. Because of who? Children of Israel. Who wants to wander around and complain for 40 years? Somebody raises their hand. Me! No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No one, hopefully no one would do that, right? But we associate the wilderness with negativity. Because the Israelites, because of their unbelief, because of whatever insert immature reason here, they did not want to go into Canaan. But the wilderness, God's training ground, is not negative. For example, when you think of, of the wilderness, uh, you think of, think of Jesus. Jesus had time in the wilderness. Jesus fasted and prepared and was ready when Satan came and said, all of this is yours if you just bow down to me. And Jesus, what did he do? He rebuked him with Scripture. And before his public ministry, before his ministry was made public, he had a time of a testing training ground. Now, if Jesus Christ needed that, surely we do. Who else had time in the desert for their training? You had Elijah. You had David. David, I believe, when that rock came out of that slingshot, I believe it was equivalent of like a gun going off. I mean, that thing probably had so much velocity that that stone sunk right into Goliath's forehead and he fell flat on his face probably because he was running at him, ready to devour him and kill him. David had been trained. He had learned how to use that sling. God had him in that training ground and now he had perfected his craft and went out and fulfilled, began to fulfill what God had for his life. It's a training ground. It's a testing ground. A lot of times when you hear of an individual who is promoted very quickly, not always, there are often some exceptions, but a lot of times that is the devil or that is the flesh. And let me tell you why. Because God doesn't work that way. God will train us up. God will equip us. God will give us what we need. And our ways are not His ways. What we think is the right path to take isn't always the right path to take. God has His own methods that He uses. But when you have somebody, there's no training ground, there's no proving ground. It's, they're just lobbed a bunch of softballs, and the next thing you know, they're being escalated, and they're being promoted, and they're getting all this attention, and they're doing all these things. A lot of times, that isn't God, because it's God's will that each and every one of us go through a training time, go through a time of testing, go through a time where we have to learn that we can only depend on Him. A professor in Bible college used to say, if you're having trouble with the foot soldiers, what are you going to do when the horsemen get here? That's what the training ground is for. That is what the time in the desert 
it's for is to mature us. Now, the desert becomes a problem when we do what? When we stay there. It's God's will for us to say, hey, you've been here for a while now. It's time to go to Canaan. I don't want to go to Canaan. I want to go back to Egypt. Now there's a problem. There's difficulty in the Christian life when you have an individual who refuses to grow. You ever heard a testimony before? And I'm not, I'm not picking on anyone, but this is just sad. You ever heard a testimony before? And it sounds like you're hearing the testimony of a baby Christian. And the more they talk, you realize, oh my goodness, this person's been saved for 40 years. That's sad, isn't it? Wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. Forgive me for using this illustration, but there was a novel, and it was made a movie. Uh, the story of an individual, he had went to uh, a correction facility. They made a movie. Uh, the, the guy, once he got out, he wrote a novel, a fictional novel, and they made a movie about it. It's called Cool Hand Luke. I, I know y'all have seen it before, right? But when, when Luke goes, and, and they, they first get to the, the prison camp, him and the other guys that are with them that I guess came in on the van with them, the warden is talking to him, and he's going over Luke's history. And he gets this puzzled look on his face, and he says, you know, says here you you came out the same way you went in to the military, a buck private. And Luke, of course, in his own Luke way, responds with, yeah, well, I just consider it passing time, Captain. So he went into the military as a private, and then he served for however many years, and he come right out as a private. How many independent Baptists for the last 35 years have just considered it passing time, Captain, right? It says here you've been saved for 40 years, but you're still on the level of a baby. You still can only handle milk. You're still complaining about the color of the carpet and mad at somebody because they didn't like your casserole dish 15 years ago. <laughs> what is it? I just consider it passing time, preacher, right? That's being stuck in the desert. That's immaturity. The Corinth believers, the church at Corinth, they were babies. What do babies do? They complain. They want to be the center of attention. There was a church full of personality worship. You had some wanting Paul. You had others wanting Apollos. They were a bunch of babies. They needed to grow. Paul wanted to give them meat, but he could only give them milk because they couldn't handle the meat. If you're in the wilderness, if you're in a time of training, if you're in the desert this morning, first of all, let me encourage you. Stay there if it's God's will for you to stay there. Don't Rush the process. Ooh, bless God, I got saved six months ago. Give me a church. Stop. Time out. Time out. No. Time to train. I've been saved for two weeks. Time for me to teach a Sunday school class. No, it's time for you to go to a Sunday school class. We need to learn. But when it's time for us to get out of the desert, we need to continue to trust God. Let me not get hung up on that point. So there's the wilderness, but there's also Canaan. Now, some folks will say that Canaan is a type of heaven. You've heard that before. 
You know, like uh, there's a song or a preacher. That's fine, and, and nothing wrong with that. But you can also say, and it's scriptural to say, that Canaan is a type of rest for the believer. If you understand this, when they got to Canaan, eventually there were still enemies there. There was still fighting that had to be done. There will no longer... When we get to heaven, there will be no more fighting. There will be no more war. But there is, for the child of God, right now, a place of rest for us. A place of maturity. A place of fulfillment. And how wonderful it is to have that desert experience where you can truly get along with God and learn what He's trying to teach you and get exactly to the level in your Christian life that He has for you so then you can live a victorious, joyful life as a child of God. Canaan. God says, time to get out of this wilderness. It's time to get into Canaan. Child of God, you've been in the wilderness for, for 20 years. It's time to get out. You've been comfortable for however long it's been. It's been God's will for you to get out of Canaan and you've stayed in, or get to Canaan. You've stayed in the wilderness because of comfort, because you're distracted on social media, because you, all you care about is politics, because you're too worried, mad about this government official, you're, you're mad about this thing. Time to put all that aside. Get out of the wilderness and get into Canaan. It's time to do that. But regardless of where you are, notice what Moses said here. Moses had the tabernacle outside of the camp. It was still under construction. He enters the tabernacle and the cloudy pillar descended and it filled the tabernacle. Notice what Moses does here. Look at verse number 12. It's very important. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses knows that in order to get from the wilderness to Canaan, he needs God. He needs God's help. We go from one battle to another battle, from one valley to another valley. We know we need God's help out of that. But what happens when we get there? We still need God's help. Not only did Moses need God's help in the wilderness, not only does Moses, is Moses saying he needs God's help to travel to Canaan, but he also needs God's help when he's in Canaan. He doesn't even want to go there if God's not going to go with him. First and foremost... There is a desire to know God. There is a desire to know God. Look back at verse number 6. It says, And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. 
What was happening was the children of Israel still had idolatry in their lives. Those ornaments represented the pagan heathen worship. If we're in the wilderness, remember, this is a time of training. This is a time that we need to be nourished. This is a time that we need to put our trust and keep our eyes on God. Satan, as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. What is he going to try to do to us while we're in the wilderness? Keep us there. Prevent us from learning. Prevent us from wanting to even get to Canaan. Satan will find whatever he can in your life that you care about, and he'll turn that into an idol. Whether it be your kids, whether it be your spouse, whether it be your job, whether it be your money, whether it be a hobby, whatever it is, Satan is going to try to take that, and he is going to try to make that an idol in your life and put that over God. Before they could get out of the wilderness... Before they could get out of that present condition of immaturity, they had to take those ornaments of idolatry off their clothes. They had to get rid of all that nonsense, all that, that, that mindset of, oh, well, Moses is still up there. Aaron, fashion us a golden calf that we can worship it. They had to get rid of that. Oh, God, I, I prayed and asked God to help me, but he hasn't answered me yet, so I'm going to turn to this thing and find comfort. Friend, that's idolatry. Boy, I've been faithful and I'm just not, I, I'm, I'm not experiencing what I thought I would, so I'm going to go and I'm going to turn to this instead, or I'm going to drown myself in my work, or I'm going to seek answers elsewhere. That's what Satan wants. But notice what Moses said. Moses, in verse 12 through 15, Moses has a desire to know God. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The desire to know God is evidence that he is Lord of our lives. Before the children of Israel could get out of the wilderness... They had to repent and turn from all that idolatry, but they also had to have a desire to want to know God more. One of the worst things, let me say it this way, one of the biggest things that will hinder your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is religion. Going through the motions. Getting up, putting on your church clothes, going to church, singing the same songs, listening to preaching. You know, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Just kind of daydreaming a little bit. I've never daydreamed before. I'm not a daydreamer at all. But, you know, I'm I'm being sarcastic. My mom were here. She'd be like, liar! Right? But daydreaming, thinking about, you know, your mind somewhere else. Okay, that was a good sermon. Go home. Come back. Do your devotion, check off the box, kind of flip a switch, knowing when you should be at church, how you should act. Friends, that's religion. That's going through the motions. Wanting to know God. 
Lord, if you're not going to lead us, we don't even want to go. Almost like saying, Lord, if you're not going to be at church this morning, I ain't either. Some people are like, ooh, that's a bunch of hairs. Hey, friends, if God ain't here, I don't want to come here. I'll just, I'll just stay at home and watch TV if God ain't coming. I want to know that what I'm doing is so that I can know more and get closer to my Heavenly Father. That's what we should desire. Some folks, if they knew God wasn't in church, they'd come anyway because they've been doing it for so long. They're just like a bunch of robots. They just do the same thing over and over and over again. Friends, that's religion. That's what Satan wants. That's why people go around in circles for 40 years because they're in the same routine. Moses said he wants to know God. He wants God to lead them. He wants God to direct them. But not only that, there's a desire to live for God. Look at verse 16 and 17. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated. I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Moses wants to be peculiar, not strange. I know some independent fundamental Baptists, and they are strange, buddy. I'm talking, you know, weirdos, right? But I'm not talking about strange, talking about peculiar. Meaning, because we love God so much, because we are so close to Him, there is something different about us. Remember what Jesus' brethren and his mother said? I can't remember the exact, uh, the exact words. I don't want to misquote the verse, but remember he's, in, I believe it's in Mark. And he's so passionate and he's so, I mean, he is so zoned in and doing the Father's will. They're kind of like, hey, go, go get him. He's beside himself. Pretty much. He's acting, we, we all know the whole Son of God thing and doing your, your, but he's acting kind of, he was misunderstood by his own mother and brethren because he was so close to the Father. That's what being peculiar is. It's not about checking off boxes and following a set of rules. You know, some of us, if we were more focused on who we were separated to versus what we're separated from, we'd be a whole lot, a whole lot better off. You know what? If we were in love with Jesus Christ and we were pursuing a relationship with Him and we wanted to know more about Him and we wanted Him to bless us, all that other stuff would take care of itself, wouldn't it? That's right. A desire to live for God. Talking about the people that are God's. That's the nation of Israel. That's God's chosen people. Moses said, we want other nations to know we're different Because we love you and we serve you. Not because we have denominational distinctives. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm a Baptist for a reason. I know you are too. But I don't want to be different because I'm a Baptist. I want to be different because God has touched my life and I'm close to him. We see a desire to live for God. And last of all, a desire to see God. And when I say last of all, that's just my introduction. So don't get get excited, right? Right? 
There's three more points after this, folks. A desire to see God. Look, if you would, verse 18 through 20. It says, And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. There's a desire to see God. Moses is becoming very intimate with the Lord right now. He is speaking to him as a man speaketh to his friend, the Bible tells us. Now, the glory mentioned here is a representation of God. For example, a Revelation 21, 22, and 23, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb of the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. The request of Moses here is the evidence of an intimate relationship with God. This is someone who wants to enter in to the rest and the joy that a Canaan experience will offer. Who here really wants to get up in the morning and do your devotions because you know you're supposed to and you need to check off a box versus because you realize you need it and you desire to be in the presence of God? You want to hear from Him. Let me go for the day breaketh. Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Held on as tight as he could. Boy, if we could have that, that desire to want to see the glory of God, to want to have time with Him, having time of prayer and praying, of course, and, 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 and making those requests known to God, but also staying in an attitude of prayer, maybe not even saying anything at all. Listening, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? God, what, what is it that, that I need to learn? Lord, search my heart. What's in there that shouldn't be in there? Where do I need to study? What do I need to look into? Desiring to see the glory of God and have an intimate relationship with Him. Verse number 11, I was talking about, says, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. If you look at verse number 19 here, it says, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, there are those who are willing to follow, and those are the ones that God is going to be gracious to. That's what that verse means. The ones who are saying, 
I want to follow the Lord. And I, I want whatever it is. Lord, send me. That's the ones that His grace is available. Because as the song they sang this morning, His grace is sufficient for me. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Whatever God has for your life, whatever He has called you to do individually, He will give you the grace to do that. The next group about uh, the, the merciful, those who are, that's talking about those who are in rebellion. This is talking about the ones who want to stay in the wilderness. Praise God. He is merciful. He is not only gracious when we are willing to follow Him and to turn from all that and want to have a better relationship, but He also shows mercy to those of us who are more immature and that we got our eyes on the world and we're wanting to go back to Egypt and we're having an Elijah juniper tree experience and whatever it may be, God is still merciful. And if we would just repent and turn from that, He'll give us what we need to get into Canaan. You've been stuck in the wilderness for 30 years because of immaturity. Man, look no further. You ask God to forgive you of that and say, Lord, whatever it is for my life you have for me, He'll take you there, friend. He'll do that. He is a merciful God. Regardless if we're in the wilderness this morning, maybe God has you there. He wants you to be there. He has you training there. Or... You were supposed to leave long ago, but you're there because of immaturity. Or, if you're in Canaan, regardless of where we are in our Christian walk, there is something here in in verse number 21 and 23 that I want to turn our attention to, and then we'll, we'll look at three things, and then we'll close. Talking about the cleft of the rock. Regardless if we're in the wilderness or in Canaan. There is a place for us as believers, whatever stage we are, if we're on a mountaintop, if we're in a valley, if we're living victoriously, or if we're doubting our salvation, or if we're struggling with something, or if we have a sickness, whatever it is, there is a place for the child of God to go and find comfort and strength and restoration. And that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ in the cleft of the rock here. To quote Arthur Pink, he said, This is the most blessed in order for sinful man to be able to clearly contemplate the divine perfections of an infinitely righteous, holy God. It is necessary that he should be put into a place of security and peace. This God has in His infinite and condensation and grace provided for us. We can see the glory of God and let Him use us in a mighty, victorious way. Three things real quick at the cleft of the rock. Number one, there's confidence. Now, the cleft of the rock, that is a space or opening made by or as if it was like splitting. That's, that's what that is. It is a Christian who has entered into rest and has found that joy and peace that only God can give. Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say that happiness is based on happenings. 
Anybody here ever listen to Adrian Rogers? Anybody? Some of y'all need to get saved, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love Adrian Rogers. Just don't listen to him before you listen to me, because that's not fair, right? But happiness is based on happenings. If, you're, if your hap is good, then you're happy. If your hap is bad, then you're sad. But joy is only found in Jesus. Joy is only found in Jesus. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, a wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand. That is from Fanny Crosby. Placed in the cleft of the rock to have an experience like none other. We can see the glory of God and get close to Him. There is a place for us. Number one, there's confidence. Look at verse number 21 real quick. It says, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. We have confidence in the cleft of the rock. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our confidence. What is our confidence? As a child of God, what is your confidence this morning? When you go into that place that God has prepared for you, that cleft of the rock, this place where you can get close to Him, why can we go there? Because of Jesus Christ. That's why we can go there. The word justified. I remember when I was little, I used to hear just as if I've never sinned. And when I got to Bible college, I remember the professor said that that word actually means to render righteous. The word justified literally means God has declared me righteous. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of who we are and what he's done. You hear folks say that that one of the only reasons, and, and you may say this, and I've said this before, but one of the only reasons that God has blessed America like, like he has is because we helped the Jews in World War II and that that he hasn't judged us for all this Abortion and all these things that we've done. Friends, let's go back to Calvary for a minute. God has judged America. Do you know that? He judged them on the cross of Jesus Christ. Of all the individuals who have committed an abortion, of all the women who've had their babies murdered, and of all the doctors who've had their hands in and involved in that and, and committed murder and killed that child, if they would repent and turn from that sin and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save them, they would be rendered righteous by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. And they would have an eternal home in heaven. You say, oh, but America, uh, if God's not going to judge America, he needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Friends, God has judged America. Jesus Christ bore our shame. 
We preach the gospel of grace. We're not to change man from the outside in. We're to tell them about Jesus Christ so he can change them from the inside out. Friend, America doesn't need a revival. America needs redemption. They need to be regenerated. We need a revival. To render righteous. That is our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Our confidence. Number two, our covering. Verse number 22. And it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Not only do we have confidence, but we also have a covering. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place. Wherever God has for you, if it's in the wilderness, if it's in Canaan, wherever it is, whatever stage of life you're in, there is a secret place where God has us covered. He has us secure. John chapter 10 verse 29 says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Paul, in, in, in that passage of Scripture, where he's, he's talking about how he, he asked the Lord to remove that thorn in his flesh, he said that he, he knows that his grace is sufficient for him. He says, Most gladly will I therefore rejoice in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That means to cover over like a tent. You know, there's three types of people. There's, the, there's the, the lost man, the natural man, and then there's the saved man, which is the spiritual man. Do you know there's actually also a third man in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 or 3, I believe. I think it's 3. Paul talks about this, this third person. It's the unnatural man. That's a carnal Christian. That's what the church at Corinth was. They were carnal Christians. That's Bible. Some people may say there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. But Paul, talking to the church, individuals who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, said, for ye are carnal. So that's pretty, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Carnal Christians. Immature. But they still had eternal security. We have eternal security if we're saved. But there's also another level of maturity that we can go after and to be covered by the power of Christ. We're already covered by His blood, but to be used by Him. There's so many folks, they're so carnal, they have this switch that they can flip on and off. When they go to church, they flip their church uh, switch on, they know how to talk, they know how to act. You ever been out to eat with some people from church? My Atlanta. We know how to treat some waitresses pretty nasty, don't we? My goodness, don't ever... My sister used to work at a, a restaurant. Don't ever make a Christian mad when they go out to eat, right? And that's not everybody, but you see what I'm saying there. How is it we can go to church and be all spiritual and then go right down the road and treat somebody like trash 
because our baked potato isn't the internal temperature we wanted it to be. How is that? That's not the spiritual man, friend. I'm not saying we're not saved, but that is not the spiritual man. That is a carnal Christian. We are covered. We have that place of security. But we also should want more maturity in our Christian walk. Paul said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Not only are we covered in the blood, but we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In the cleft of the rock, we have our confidence, we have our covering. But last of all, we have our comprehension. Look here, I'll close with this, look at verse number 23. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now, remember, this is the Old Testament times. This is the time of the law. We don't live in the age of the law. We don't live... A dispensation is a particular time in how God deals with man. This is the dispensation of law. We live in the dispensation of grace. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. The law is just a shadow. But notice here for a minute. God the Father in all his glory has just told Moses, you cannot see my face and live. This is God in all his majesty. But look here at 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. For God who had commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, God manifested in the flesh, looked the disciples in the face and said, Ye are my friends. How about that? To have a more intimate relationship with God. To want to know more about Him. To want to see His glory. To want to experience that rest and joy that only He can give us. is found through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can experience a life of constant communion and fellowship because of Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, where are we in our Christian walk? To quote Dr. J. Vernon McGee, he says, this is the anticipation and hope of believers who are walking by faith. That is the way Moses is going to walk. He knew that God's presence had to go with him or failure would be the result. We need his presence today also to face the problems of everyday life. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that each and every person here today that we would examine our hearts and we would ask ourselves, Lord, do we have this type of relationship with you? More importantly, do we want this type of relationship with you? Because, Lord, you have prepared a place for us to go where we can know more about you. Lord, you can do things that we can never imagine in our lives and our hearts. Lord, we can learn of you. 
Lord, you will lead us, you will guide us, you will direct us, and God, we will find rest, peace, and joy, whatever life throws our way. Because there in the cleft of the rock, we're covered by you, God, we're standing on that confidence, and we have comprehension of you, Lord, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because we can boldly approach the throne of grace at any time, Lord, I pray, God, that if there's someone here who, who knows they're saved, but God, they're just, they're stuck in the wilderness. Lord, you would convict them and show them what they need, Lord. Lord, for the one who's in the wilderness and needs to stay there, God, you would encourage them to continue to learn and continue to be molded. And Lord, help us to get to that place of Canaan, God, of that place of joy, that place of rest. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.